Welcome to the True Blue LA podcast, an emergency podcast edition. Eric, you and I, <laughs> we're going to uh, take, I'm thinking of Airplane with the guy with the, the sticks. Uh, yes. We, you and I were going to uh, take the week off. Nothing was going on. Uh, but we, you know, there were rumors that a big trade might happen. And then it c- kind of came out that, no, that that's not imminent. That's not probable. It's possible. So I kind of resolved myself to take a day off. I went to go play bar trivia. And as soon as I get there, uh, breaking news. I would say this, it was a trade that was greater all. How much dead air do you think I should add? Let you, let that joke sit. <laughs> I was just kidding. yeah, like like a minute. No, no, yeah, no. Okay. no. Uh, the joining, yeah, joining the Pantheon of the Nick Punto trade is the greater R. Is that how I say that? Greater all? Greater all. I, greater I all. think, like yeah, Gatorade, there's, but yeah, sure. Adderall, Gatorade. Yeah. Uh, Mookie Betts is a Dodger. David Price is a Dodger. Kenta wow. Maeda is a twin. Yep. There's a lot of stuff going on, man. We're going to, we're going to break it all down. We're going to offer our, uh, opinions, um, on not only this trade, but the other trade, uh, <laughs> Ross Stripling and Jock Peterson not going to be Dodgers anymore. A lot to unpack. We're going to do all of that. You have a Dodgers rewind to go over, and then always we have questions from Craig after this. So let's let's go player by player, maybe. And I think we should start with the the biggest get, uh, the sort of superstar that the Dodgers, ha- uh, the fan base of the Dodgers have been demanding, not necessarily demanding, but really wanting for a very long time. Mookie Betts is a Dodger. Okay, so this I last night that we're recording this on Wednesday evening, and this all sort of happened Tuesday night, mm-hmm. and um, so I sort of likened this to in the 2014 winter meetings. That was the first um, sort of month of uh, the Andrew Friedman front office era, and the Dodgers like were in overhaul mode at that point in terms of like w- w- how they sort of shaped the roster, and they were. They made like four or five moves like within a like a day and a half at the winter meetings, and it was just like nonstop. Every like, hey, what 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 are the details of this pending deal? Oh, there's another trade. Like, <laughs> <clears throat> and so this is how it sort of kind of stuff of trickling. Like, look, we're we're, we're uh, just before we get into bed, I'll just say the second trade will go over. We don't even know the full details yet. <laughs> so yeah. like, but we have we have an idea. But okay, so the big trade, obviously, the the big thing here, Mookie Betts. Um, David Price are Dodgers. Um, Mookie Betts, um, 2018 MVP, uh, homered in the clinching game five of the World Series at Dodger Stadium in 2018. Um, he, uh, since his major league debut in 2014, uh, he is second in war in baseball to, um, is this Mike my Trout. trivia question? Oh, damn. No, no, no. I got that one right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, he is, like, uh, as rock solid as a, of a player as you can get. He's got one season until free agency. Uh, the Red Sox wanted to get under the luxury tax and didn't think they were going to resign him, so they dealt him for a very light return. Um, <laughs> so, to get Mookie Betts and David Price, look – all the rumors on this were like, well, we saw this in like the Indians thing with Lindor and then like the early Red Sox rumors like, look, the Dodgers aren't going to part with Gavin Lux or Dustin May or they don't want to, right? So, but it, maybe they can get it done with like a, a group of like three or four like next tier prospects that, you know, like Kaber Ruiz, a Tony Gonsal, and maybe Dustin May's in a deal, right? Like you could, you could sort of see that. They didn't give up a single prospect in this deal. <laughs> like, so uh, Alex Verdugo, who, again, not denigrating him because he's not a prospect. He's an actual major leaguer, above average major leaguer at that. Um, Alex Verdugo goes to the Red Sox. Um, Kenta Maeda goes to the Twins, who, like, uh, <laughs> inserted themselves. Look, you're not going to get a, a, an Andrew Friedman 
like Blockbuster unless it's a free team deal, right? Like that's this is, <laughs> this is a perfect uh, complicated deal. And then for the Twins, what they gave up to get Maeda was uh, uh, a twenty twenty two um, a, a pitcher named uh, Bruce Dora Graterall, and um, he throws like a hundred and one or something. So that so it's a lottery ticket. So that's all the Red Sox got and. Like, so this, you know, we've seen this with some Boston deals in the past, right? Um, the Dodgers took on like $250 million in the Punto trade because there were so many contracts. Uh, this is similar, but not really because they're getting truly like a best, you know, second best, best player in a normal baseball era, uh, Mookie Betts. Uh, but or you know clearly second best to price. I mean to not to not to price to Trout, um, <laughs> but at the at minimum like a top five MLB player in his prime. Again, only for one year, but to get that they had to take on David Price, who who was due ninety six million over three years left on his deal. So, but the Dodgers aren't paying all that. They're we don't again none of this is official yet, but it's all been reported. Um, we don't know the exact money, but the multiple people, I think Heyman and John Heyman and Tim Brown both have said like the um, Red Sox are paying about half, maybe a little over, maybe a little less. I'm not sure. So the Dodgers are basically getting David Price for the Rich Hill contract of like three years, 48 million roughly. Uh, so that's a, that's a good, like, that's a good price to pay for like an above average pitcher. Yeah. Someone who's sort of dealt with stuff in the last couple of years, but still like that's a, that's palatable. Right. So that that's that trade. And then concurrently there's a second trade, which again, this, there's a huge amount of like unknowns here, but the, the thrust of it seems to be Jock Peterson, Ross Stripling to the angels. And then uh, Luis Rengifo, Rengifo, uh, an infielder who was a rookie last year. Um, he's a switch hitter, hits better from the left side. Um, pretty good defensive player, played a lot of second base, plays some shortstop. There's like two prospects probably coming to the Dodgers in the deal. have no idea who those are yet. Um, there's a rumor that Andy Pages, a Dodgers prospect, is going to the Angels as well. So that seems like a part of a larger deal, but we'll see. We're still sort of waiting on that. But the thrust here is, look, the Dodgers are getting – uh, bets in price, uh, and they basically gave up four major leaguers in two trades to like sort of facilitate uh, overall. That's so that's sort of the, the overall like summary of what happened. So you you've kind of hinted at it at, at just how good Mookie is. Um, perhaps some of our listeners more National League focused, more Dodgers focused. What makes Mookie so good? Okay, so like I think. This is one of those things about, like, I don't want to rely so much on war. Like, I, I don't like when, you know, um, you see someone, like, talking about, like, an MVP type of thing and just it's basically just a war sorting leaderboard or something. Like, I don't want to rely on that. Just But from a conceptual standpoint, Betts, like, does just about everything well. Like, he hits, uh, he hits the ball extremely hard. He hits for power. He hits for average. He, he runs well. He stole uh, 30 bases uh, uh, in 2018. He stole 16 last year. He's a percentage-based dealer. He plays excellent defense, and he has a strong arm. Like, he could probably um, play center, that, but the Red Sox have had Jackie Bradley Jr. in center. Uh, I would imagine he's going to play right still with the Dodgers with Cody Bellinger in center, but the fact that both of those guys can play center is, like, makes the – outfield that much better defensively so it's really interesting yeah. to me that uh just real quick that i remember when the aj pollock signing happened like the big drum beat was oh they want a true center fielder right <laughs> and now it's like <laughs> go enjoy left field aj <laughs> exactly and, and so like and then another thing with that too like while that was true like for most of aj Pollock's career he also had a big injury history sure. and um and is older but like Betts is 26 um or uh, I guess going into his age 27 season, but like that's so that you're getting a, like a, like uh near best player in baseball in his prime. Uh, excellent guy. He's a big doubles guy. Um, but yeah, so just, I mentioned, so he, he debuted in um, 2000 in middle of 2014, June 29th. So since that day, his MLB ranks in these categories, he's second in war, both kinds 42 baseball reference war, 37.2 fangrafts. Trout is like 
what is that? Uh, five seasons. So Trout's probably around 50. I, I didn't get the exact total for Trout, but he's the only one ahead of him. Uh, Mookie Betts leads in runs scored, 613. First doubles, 229. He's sixth in most times on base. He's seventh in total bases. He's uh, eighth in stolen bases, 126. And he, like you said, he steals at a high rate. He's 83%. He's seventh in defensive war. Uh, and that's among all fielders. So, like, Andleton Simmons is up there. Um, but, like, I looked back in the last few years in in just in among all outfielders. And, like, he's basically top 10 in total zone rating, defensive runs saved, and outs above average every single year in the last four years. Except last year he was 15th in outs above average, but he still uh, made seven plays above average. So, in, in his previous years, he was double digits in there, but... So, like, he's a very good all-around player, and that's sort of what you're getting. I was in, just getting back to war for a second. Like, his w- worst war in the in his five full seasons is 5.9 uh, in 2015 with uh, baseball reference. And his fan graphs were that year was 4.8. Um, he's averaged in his five full seasons 7.9 baseball reference war and 7.1 fan graphs war. So, that he, like, is, has been played at, like, an MVP level roughly every season so like he's excellent so we should talk about david price a little bit but i'm looking at our show notes and you have one more thing you want to talk about okay so about one more thing about mookie Betts and war since 2015 uh baseball reference war there have been 15 different seasons uh of a player getting eight or higher war there have been 11 fan graph seasons uh mookie Betts has two of each uh so uh, 2016 and 2018. Uh, he's uh, his 2018 10.9 fan graphs, or excuse me, 10.9 baseball reference, 10.4 fan graphs war is the top mark in the last five years, even better than Trout. Uh, Betts was also is also fifth in from 2016 and tied for ninth in fan graphs war. So he he's the only player with uh, multiple. Uh, eight war seasons in the last five years, except for Mike Trout, who has four. <laughs> yeah, and that MVP season yeah. is so special because for Mike Trout to lose an MVP award, it almost always has to come down to like the the intangibles that come up. Oh, the Angels aren't really on a winning team. Uh, you know, this guy was a leader, and therefore, or um, uh, maybe he won a triple crown, for instance. And for uh, Mookie to do so on a winning team, but to do so. Uh, playing the war game basically but like on the same level that trout tends to win his mvp awards that's just incredible right the, the fact that he was on par with trout like says enough about how good like mookie Betts is so that's that's really good so david price this is a, the more uh, uh i think talking about mookie is really easy it's just like come up with infinite ways you can say how good he is david price is a more interesting uh asset but i we you and i both agree especially with the red sox paying half a salary he is an asset Right. So, like, we talked about this before, right? Like, the the Dodgers were sort of accumulating, like, uh, wild cards for the rotation. Like, we talked about with Ryu gone, Rich Hill gone, like, they – they and Maeda always goes to the bullpen. Like, so they basically had Kershaw and Bueller for playoff starters and then figure it out after that, you know? Like, that's – but, like, I think you slot Price in, like, at third for now, right? Like, and you, you're, you'll figure it out, like – the uh but it just gives them a little more uh like if he's healthy a little more certainty in that regard which is and i'll get to uh, in a little bit why that's that's like in a weird way odd but instructive um but so the problem is so he's been limited by injuries two of the last three years last year he had like a cyst in his left wrist that he uh, basically was shut down two different times in the last two months he only made two starts in those last two months so 2017, he had two different uh, DL stints with his with an elbow. He missed like um, uh, two months early and then eight weeks later. So like he's been limited. Last year his like overall numbers were like so so. It was 428 ERA, which is 113 ERA plus. The FIP was better, 362. He made 22 starts. The numbers that spiked up though, he had 128 strikeouts uh, in 107 innings. So. I looked up. There's 130 pitches, pitchers last year with 100 innings. He was 24th in strikeout rate, 28%. So, like that tells you, like um, where he's sort of at. Like, hit, uh, if you go by uh, 
K minus or strikeout minus walk percentage, it's 21%, which was tied with Clayton Kershaw. So like, uh, it's funny, like, you know, you talk about Clayton Kershaw, right? Like, no matter what you're going to end up talking about, it'll always come down to like, well, what about in the playoffs, right? Like that he, until, until like the Dodgers win with Kershaw, like a championship, like that's always going to haunt him, right? It's just going to always be there because it is. And that was the same way for David Price. And he was even worse than Kershaw. Like uh, if you look back at it, <laughs> Price, so his rookie year, uh, 2008, he, he pitched out of the bullpen in the playoffs and the Rays made it to the World Series. He was the he got the save in game seven of the ALCS as a reliever. Uh, but he lost his first seven postseason starts. It was and it wasn't like the team like you know lost it later or something. He he got hung with the loss in his first seven postseason starts. In his first eleven postseason starts, for, that's from 2010 through game two of the 2018 ALCS. Price was 0 and nine with a 6.16 ERA in those starts. So like that's crazy, right? Like he had some inner. Uh, like some relief work interspersed in there. He actually had a win in 2015 in relief, but in that game he allowed three runs in three innings. So like he, his postseason record is really spotty, but like he, his relief work was okay in, in the postseason when he, when he did it. But like then he turned it around. Like in 2018, after that loss in ALCS, he beat um, the Astros to close out game five Um with uh, six scoreless innings, and that was on – I mean, it was a regular rest start, but in between he had pitched uh, uh, to three batters in relief. So, like, that was like uh, – oh, wait, I, I'm con- um, I think I'm confusing that with a different game. But in one of these starts he pitched in relief, um, which is pretty – like, in between, so good for him. But anyway, then he beat the Dodgers twice in the World Series. He had uh, six innings in game two. But his strongest one was seven innings in game five when he beat Kershaw. He only allowed a run. So, like, if you look at it, like, um, the Dodgers in this trade, they they acquired the winning pitcher in the last World Series game at Dodger Stadium and the, a player who, home run in, who homered in that same game. So, like, uh, if you – and then just going back to Price for a second, if you look, his overall postseason ERA is 462 in 99 innings, Kershaw's 443 in 158 innings. So, like, there's still – there's time, right? Kershaw has pitched more in the postseason and stuff. But if all he – like, that's – like, all Kershaw needs is, like, a run like that. He doesn't even probably have to do three straight great starts. But, like, just, you know, getting, I mean, like, two wins out of three or something like that or 2017, whatever. 2017, if the Dodgers somehow score five runs in the ninth inning in Game 7 – I think that's that's what you need, right? He came in really yes. in games have it pitched really, really well, had a yeah. great game one. Uh not so much in game five, but right. like that would have been enough, I think. Exactly right. So like yeah, had the Dodgers won in two thousand seventeen, like everything changes. And that that's really what it is. And like it's one of those like you you have that reputation until you don't. And like the 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 fact is the Dodgers are set up very nicely to to give Kershaw the opportunities to sort of um, get rid of that and like, like just like Price did. So, and I think there's a lot still left in the tank, probably for Price. Like, and it, they'll probably treat him sort of like they did with Rich Hill the last couple of years. We talked about him basically being on the Rich Hill contract with them. Um, so, and it's like if they can get 20 plus starts in the regular season, they're probably fine with that as long as he's healthy in October. So, they'll probably, uh, you know, play it that way. So, we'll see. But like, it, it gives them another sort of reliable option uh, that they can pr- probably trust in the postseason more so than some of the others. And the way they did these trades, like the fact that they didn't trade prospects and they actually cleared some room if Maeda and Stripling mm-hmm. are gone, like that actually creates room for a Dustin May, a Julio Urias uh, to sort of, like, like they said, get the runway, right? Like yeah. they're still going to give Alex Wood a bunch of starts right now, so that's fine, and Jimmy Nelson will probably get shots too. But the fact is there's going to be opportunities for all those guys to like um, to get starts, and I think it um, they've shown that they are, you know, like a, a guy can win a job like if he's, if he's doing well. So they're not shy uh, from that standpoint. So 
it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, I want to touch on that a little bit more when we talk about more on the Angel side and losing Jock uh, and Striplane. And just talk a little bit about my Maida because it'll enter in that same equation. Uh, we do need to go to commercial break. But before we do, you have a trivia question for me. And instead of me hemming and hawing, umming and eyeing uh, over live air while I try to just figure out how to tell you I don't know, uh, we're going to do it over the commercial break and give our listeners a chance to think about the question as well. Okay, so my question to you, Mookie Betts has worn number 50 in the majors uh, with the Red Sox his whole career. Um, I don't know exactly what number he's going to wear at the Dodgers. I assume it's going to be 50. Um, Jamie Schultz had it last, and he's he was designated for assignment. So I don't think that's going to be a problem. I looked it up. Um, there's been 26 total players uh, with the Dodgers wear uh, number 50, and plus Chuck Krim for three years as a coach. Um, those 26 players combined for 38 total seasons uh, wearing number 50 as a player. Some of these players wore different numbers in different years, but I'm only counting the seasons they wore number 50. I want you to tell me the player who accumulated the most war uh, with the Dodgers wearing number 50. And I'll have an ancillary question, but that's the main question for now. All right. We have a commercial break. I'm excited to, to a minute later tell you I don't know. We'll do that after this. And we're back. We're talking about the number 50. You know what's the really embarrassing thing about this, Eric? No. Is I wanted to have a trivia question for you. Um, so my hope was that I could find a player who wore number 50 on both the Red Sox <laughs> and the Dodgers. Oh. Uh, so I went to the baseball reference uniform uh, page yeah. for the Dodgers and looked at number 50. I have seen this entire list yesterday less than 24 hours ago and i don't think i can tell you the answer i remember some of the weird names um yeah i remember i remembered i saw that jamie schultz and remembered that he was the last one there uh ruby la rosa wore 50 diana navarro wore 50 uh and and then i like remember looking at the players who like wore it the longest and just in one ear out the other or i i guess internet Mm -hmm. i so i I'm going to ask for one hint, but I bet that doesn't even get me there. Uh, the hint is this person is a relief pitcher. Is it Diana Navarro? <laughs> no, that's a catcher. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dwayne Sanchez is what I had in my mind. Um, okay. No, so I'm tapping out. Okay, so it's Jay Howell, uh, okay. who pitched from 88 to 92, 10.5 war. But here's the stunner about this, right? So there's 26 players, 38 total seasons. With even with Jay Howell's total, the total war was fifteen point one for all of them. Yeah, <laughs> that is definitely where because I I was thinking. Uh, so I actually I looked up on accident trying to get this by war, and um, Jamie Moyer's name came up because I didn't do the oh, baseball right. reference uh, yeah, yeah. search correctly, and then I quickly noticed that yeah the the. Um, <laughs> The list of players who wore 50 for the Dodgers was not illustrious, so I kind of gave no. up on that and went to bed. Oh, so, so to, to tell you, the, like, so you mentioned Dwayne Sanchez, <laughs> he's second in war. Okay, so okay, all right, yeah, yeah. one but 1.2. That's his. So, uh, the only other person with uh, one war what would have qualified, I believe, if, if I remember what it's Nathan Eovaldi. Who was also a Red Sox, but and, did not wear fifty. Oh, seventeen with the Red Sox. Okay, okay, there it is. So he's one point one more. Um, Eric, uh, oh sorry, Pedro Borbone point seven. Eric Stoltz point six. Everyone else sucks. Like, uh, um, or they were, you know, they had yeah. bad numbers. Six, only six total position players totaling seven seasons. The total was point two WAR. <laughs> uh, I looked up. Joel uh, so, yeah. Yes. Uh, in fact, I think – wait, was he one of the better – no, he's negative. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's he's negative 0.2. Um, so uh, there's what – what did I say? 26. Yeah, 26 total players. Uh, eight of them had negative war. 14 of them, uh, include, like, including the eight that are negative, had 0.1 war or, or fewer. 20 of them had 0.3 war or fewer. So <laughs> – 
Yeah. That's a that's a rough and, list, man. And to be clear before I get angry tweets, uh Dear Navarro did not wear fifty. I kept saying Dear Navarro, but I Look, meant Duander Sanchez. Anderson, yeah. And I would have been second. it makes me really happy that I oh, exactly. I, in fact when you started saying it, I was like, Oh my god, you're gonna get the number two. Like so <laughs> and I, I, I give you full like credit for that. That's that's good. Yeah, just my brain had it filed in the run file. So and I said it was a relief pitcher, so I'm giving myself half credit here yeah, for solid. getting the second the the most the most right wrong answer. Right. So we should talk a little bit about the other trade. We it's a little like I think you and I can evaluate the first trade in isolation just as a as close to a home run as you can get in a trade for the Dodgers. Yep. Uh the second trade this we don't know enough. So I don't want to like completely evaluate this trade because we don't know exactly who the Dodgers are getting back. We're not a hundred percent sure on what the Dodgers are giving up. Maybe there are more players involved. Um, so I don't want to evaluate it prematurely, but if the rough structure of this, which is um, Luis Ren- uh, Ringifo uh, comes to the Dodgers, Jock and uh, Stripling and maybe a prospect or two go to the angels. Doesn't this feel a lot like two things? One, the Reds trade last year. And when we talked about the Reds trade last year, the thing we kept comparing it to is felt like an NBA trade. Oh, right. This feels like the, the, like, oh crap, we need to get under the cap. Uh, this weird trade where we're, yeah, we're, we're kind of the loser here, but we're so much of a winner in the other trade. We don't care. Right. So, but it's not the NBA. They don't have to do this. (laughs) Right. It's a choice. It's a choice that a team makes to do this. Right. So that's sort of the the unsavory part of all this is this does totally feel like a salary dump. And it, and it, probably is just given how like like i said like i said we don't know the full details of this but i like the players like i believe bueller was on mlb network radio talking about it cody bellinger put on an instagram post uh, basically saying my boys uh, verdugo um jock and i think he had stripling maybe maeda in there but the fact that these are all mentioned like they're gone right like so mm-hmm. they're, they're like clearly part of it so um training jock and stripling um, Jock was arbitration eligible. He's like uh, between 7.75 and 9.5 million if he goes to ARB. We'll see. But um, so they're kind of clearing that, and Stripling is 2.1. Um, from a CBT standpoint, um, he you're clearing the whole thing. The Dodgers actually already paid him 1.5 million as a signing bonus, but. That the Angels will be responsible for the full CBT, but anyway, um, this it does totally feel like a like a, a salary dump. And again, we don't know exactly what's coming back. We don't even know the exact money from the price deal, but I have some like sort of estimates. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I was just gonna say, like, kind of going back to the Reds trade. The Reds trade at least sort of made sense to me, and that all three players that the Dodgers gave up were um, free agents at the end of the year, and. The prospects that they got back were, um, at the time, ho- kind of hope. Oh, these guys might be really good. Now we find out, no, they are really good. Um, barely highly ranked on uh, the Dodgers prospect board after a year of development, and and also like the sense of like, hey, we these guys don't really have a place to play. That that kind of reigned true, and it it kind of is true here. Um, and that like the left field uh, platoon is extremely crowded, but like. Jock would have been one of the better parts of that platoon, especially if Pollock continues to get hurt. He he would have been the best part of the platoon, yeah. like clearly, like and so and it's one of those things where like now you sort of see it right because it means like everyone always is so quick to put AJ Pollock in a platoon when I when it seems like they're the way they used him uh, outside of when they finally gave up in the, at the end of the playoffs, like. I don't think they're going to platoon him, right? Like he's not going to be the right-handed side of a platoon. Like he's going to play a lot. So that, I think that was part of it, but also like um, they all, they have, um, you know, Matt Beatty, they have Edwin Rios. Um, You still have to find time for Chris Taylor and Kiki Hernandez who are both right-handed. So not necessarily platoonish, but um, uh, when you have Betts and Bellinger in the outfield, you have Lux at second and Muncie at first. There's less of an infield opportunity for those guys. So, like, left field seems to be the spot um, where they would get that time. Um, so, I think that was part of it, too. But, like, um, so just going over, like, I, you know, I have sort of a – I'm no longer updating the – maintaining the true blue 
excuse me, True Blue LA um, uh, payroll document just because it's too much work like in season. And I, you know, like I don't run the site anymore. I just, we do the podcast or whatever. That's fine. But um, I, for my own notes, I, I still have a sort of worksheet going on. And um, as it stands, the Dodgers have um, uh, 16 players under contract, uh, you know, counting Mookie and David Price and taking away Jock, Stripling, Maeda, and Verdugo. So 16 players under contract. Then you have the three ARB guys who haven't um, settled yet. Uh, Chris Taylor, Max Muncy, and Pedro Baez. So counting their midpoints just for a placeholder for now. Counting a little bit higher than the minimum salary for the remaining um, seven roster spots, which include uh, – Clear starters, uh, Lux, Smith, Bueller, right? And then, uh, you know, a few other guys. So, again, it's a 26-man roster now. So, there, I have just for the for sake of this, there's 13 pitchers and 13 um, uh, relievers. I I have a rough estimate what the price money is. So, as it stands right now, they're at roughly uh, $204 million from, from a CBT standpoint. The threshold this year is 208 And that counts. I'm already counting, like – the uh, the sort of overall benefits that every team has pays the same amount for. I have two and a half million in there for uh, the minor league salaries for the players on the forty man. So like, there's estimates built in. Again, this is a super rough estimate. It's not exact. Now, in trading Maeda, they don't have to account for all the various bonuses he's going to earn through the season with his like crazy incentivated contract. Alex Wood has a bunch of incentives in his contract, so that's something you still have to account for. But I think the point is I don't think they're necessarily so constrained that they're going to avoid the, the luxury tax at all costs. But I think they don't – they want to leave themselves some leeway, right? Like they don't want to very clearly be over and make every move a taxable move going forward. So like had they kept um, Jock and, and uh, Jock – or. <laughs> Jock and Stripling, uh, they would have already been over, and then any additional moves they would have made would have been taxed. Plus, they would have already been taxed. It's it's a few million dollars here and there, but like I think that's where they're sort of operating on the margins right now. So, uh, but you know, grand scheme of things, look, last month we were sitting there sort of parsing Stan Caston's quote about, look, we're going to clearly be at or near the the CBT number. And we're like, how? Like, how do you do that? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I, and we basically said, like, we were joking, like, unless they do one of these trades, right? Like, that that's basically the only way they do it. And they did it. So that's where they're at. So we're going to uh, wind down with a rewind. Oh, yeah. Like um, so today, this was inspired. I like, I like when the Dodgers rewind has, like, it, the, sometimes they're hard to come up with. But I like when... Um, like something happens where it makes it so obvious that like it has to be that right. Like this all stemmed from John Wiseman. He tweeted something la- uh, like or, like last week, I guess, because as the sort of rumors started to heat up, and we're like, um, you know, the Dodgers are, you know, probably or you know could get bats, and then like as you mentioned, like uh, as we got later into this week. It was like, I think Ken Rosenthal Monday morning said something like, it's not if, but when. Uh, Betts gets traded, and then the Dodgers were the clear favorites, so then we got more confident. But anyway, last week, John Weisman tweeted, he was wondering, uh, or I think he named a top five and then sort of worked it out. He added a few after that. But who was the who were the most accomplished players the Dodgers traded for who were under 30 at the time of acquisition based on their pre-Dodgers accomplishments. And um, I think he used Ward just as a rough estimate. Um, so I'm going to look at his – what was his list originally? So his his list was Dick Allen, um, who was, uh, yeah, acquired for 1971, I believe. Uh, Gary Sheffield, Sean Green, Hanley Ramirez, and then Juan Samuel was fifth. And I'm like, and I was thinking about that. I was like, wow, okay, that's a fun list. And just offhand, I was like, wait, I was trying to think of just who who they might have traded for. And I go, what about Archie Vaughn? I know he's a Hall of Famer. 
I know the Dodgers got him relatively late, but I didn't realize how young he was when the Dodgers got him. And the, like, the more I dug a little bit, uh, he's a little, he's kind of fascinating. So it turns out he was, um, the Dodgers acquired him in December of 1941. He didn't turn 30 until March 1942. So he, he ends up being the best. Um, the, he was an eight time all-star with the pirates. Uh, he was a shortstop. He had 64 war in Pittsburgh. Wow. He had basically all of his twenties. He played from 20, age 20 through 29. He had a 141 OPS plus, uh, in the, look, the thirties the were a crazy offensive era, but even he stood out like 324, 415, 472 over 10 years with Pittsburgh. Again, starting at age 20, he averaged 29 doubles, 10 triples and eight homers. Um, his best year was a nine war year in 1935. He had a 190 OPS plus. <laughs> he led MLB in position player war, batting average on base, OPS, OPS plus. He led the NL in slugging walks. Uh, he ended up finishing third in MVP that year to Cubs catcher Gabby Hartnett and the Cardinals uh, Dizzy Dean, partially because those two teams finished ahead of him in the standings. Cubs won the pennant. Cardinals won 96 games. He had six-plus uh, war in six of his eight years in Pittsburgh, so he's very bets-like, maybe a little more extended because the structure of baseball was different back then. But um, he led the league in on-base percentage in his career three times, led the league in runs three times, triples three times, and walks three times. So you look now, like when he comes to the Dodgers, the Dodgers were dormant for a long time. They finally started to get good, and then they won 100 games in 1941, and they won the pennant. This was their first pennant in 21 years. <laughs> and then immediately they go out and acquire like one of the very best players in baseball who's still, who's like just turning 30. And uh, my favorite player of all time is Eddie Murray. And part of it was because I liked him, always liked him with the Orioles. You know, he was just pretty awesome. And then the Dodgers won the World Series in 88. And then that, like that um, offseason, they acquired Eddie Murray. And, and like, so he like immediately, like within a year, he became like my favorite player, like just sort of cemented it. And um, Murray was a little older. He was 33, but he was already a clear Hall of Famer. Um, and then that was sort of a lopsided deal too. They didn't give up much. The The Dodgers didn't give up much for Archie Vaughn. It was a four for one trade. There was a Pete Koskarart, a 29-year-old second baseman who, who had less than one wins above replacement in four years. Luke Hamlin, a 37-year-old starter who he was okay with for, as five years as a pitcher with the with the Dodgers, but he only played more years. Babe Phelps, a 34-year-old catcher who was only played one more year, and then Jimmy Wasdell, a 28-year-old outfielder and or corner outfielder and first baseman who was a decent hitter. He played six more years uh, and only two with the Pirates, and he only totaled three WAR. So, like, that was a very lopsided deal. The the thing is, like. Vaughn only played four more years. Looking, if you just look at his like baseball reference page, the years he missed were 1944, 45, 46. So in my head, I'm thinking, oh, World War II. Nope. <laughs> like, uh, so he comes to the Dodgers. They have a young Pee Wee Reese at shortstop. So Vaughn plays third base mostly in 1942. Pee Wee Reese goes to war in 1943. Vaughn played shortstop that year. And then his powers sort of went away when he joined the Dodgers, but he was still very productive, right? Like, we've seen this, but, right, people come uh, on. Uh, he was very good. But, like, uh, and then when he came back in 1947, 1948, he was sort of a veteran bench guy. The more I look into this, the way sort of some of the quotes about him, he seemed like a, a late Chase Utley in that regard. Like, everyone sort of loved him. So in 1942, after the Dodgers got him, they got really good again. Like they were, they won 104 games, which was better than their pennant winning year. But the Cardinals were also really good, and they beat the Dodgers by two games that year. So, and there were no playoffs. Uh, there were only is only the pennant winner. Uh, he he later um, he later uh, played in the 1947 World Series, but it was all pinch hitting duty. He was one for three. He had a two out double in the seventh inning of Game Five with the Dodgers down two to one. There was a runner on first base, but he didn't score because he was a catcher named Bruce Edwards. And they intentionally walked uh, someone to lead to Pee Wee Reese with the bases loaded. That was sort of the Dodgers' best chance to sort of take game five, uh, but Pee Wee Reese struck out. So anyway, um, again, getting back to how he how he missed those three years, 
Uh, I'm just going to, uh, I looked at his Sabre bio. I'll link to this in the show notes. Uh, but in 1943, July 10th, um, Leo DeRocher was the manager. He suspended a pitcher named Bobo Newsom. Um, and this is a quote from the Sabre bio. Uh, Vaughn read a newspaper interview in which DeRocher made accusations against Newsom. Herman, this is Babe Herman, recalled that Vaughn was quiet, but he seemed upset by what he read. Later at the ballpark, Vaughn angrily confronted DeRocher, who confirmed that he had given the interview. Herman recalled, Arky didn't say another word. He went back to his locker and took off his uniform, his pants, blouse, socks, cap. First of all, blouse? All right. <laughs> I, you know, they're colorful language back then. I get it. Uh, he, he made a big bundle out of it and went back to DeRocher's office. <laughs> this is the best part. Um, Vaughn said to DeRocher, take this uniform and shove it right up your ass. Then he threw it in DeRocher's face. <laughs> and he said, if you would lie about Bobo, you'd lie about me and everybody else. I'm not playing for you. And so he Ar- convinced... Arky Vaughn setting the uh, explicit tag today. Good That's him. right. Yeah. And and with... Yeah, exactly. And so Vaughn like, convinced a bunch of teammates to like sit out that day, that game. And then Brand Tricky was he like sort of like, hey, come on, guys, what are you doing here? He convinced everyone else to play and allowed Vaughn to sit out that game. He watched the game from the right field stands with the suspended Newsom. The next day, Vaughn returned. And then at the end of the season, he was still so mad at DeRocher that he just quit. He just walked away. <laughs> he went back to his cattle ranch. He's from like, uh, or he was in uh, Northern California. And to be with his wife and four kids, it was like his high school. His wife was his high school sweetheart. So he just chilled for like three years. And then in 1947, uh, Leo DeRocher was suspended that year. Remember, I think we've covered this on a previous uh, Dodgers Rewind. Uh, Brent Tricky convinced Vaughn to return again now as sort of the sage Chase Utley veteran type. Um, and then after 1948, he played that year with DeRocher. So they uh, it was enough time had passed apparently to patch things up. But then in 1949, Vaughn went back to the minors. He wanted to be closer to home. He played for the San Francisco Seals for one year, and then he retired. Tragically, he died like three years later. It was in a boating accident at age 40. Uh, I mentioned, like, he seems like a comp for Chase Utley. I looked, you know, Bill James' similarity score is on uh, baseball reference, and, like, you know, it it's based on, a like, I think if you're a exactly comparable your score will be a thousand no one ever gets a thousand but usually a lot of players have guys in the like mid 900s or something like that the highest similarity score to Vaughn is 886 so like he's a pretty unique player in that regard there's not not a lot of people like truly like him so like yeah he he never really got a, a lot of credit in the MVP voting despite being excellent every year and then subsequently he was um he only got 29 – he topped out at 29% in the writer's ballot for the Hall of Fame, and he didn't get uh, elected till the Vets Committee in 1985. So, yeah, there, there's Archie Vaughn, a Hall of Famer uh, acquired by the Dodgers before age 30. So we'll see if uh, Mookie Betts fits that bill. You ready for uh, questions from Craig? Sure. Well, it's time for questions from Craig. I almost forgot the theme song. Yeah, I was like, wait, are we just going to go right into it? I needed to make sure you didn't want to talk about Archie Vaughn more because I would have let you. That's true. So the first question is uh, from Craig. I was in Miami sitting in a brewery tap room when I found out what happened with the helicopter crash. It was strange watching from afar, and while it was certainly news in Miami and people talked about it, it wasn't like being in L.A. I was interested in what it was like for Eric, who was a Laker fan, but he was also on the news desk for SB Nation when the news broke, and also for Jacob, not a Laker fan, but was in L.A. during the height of Kobe's career. Yeah, so that was weird. Um, That was one of those where I I was working on that Sunday, and it was the week before the Super Bowl, so it was kind of a quiet day for the most part. But, like, yeah, the, the first, like, TMZ reported it, and we're like, oh, crap, like this is, you know, it was sort of gathering facts at this point, right? And there was, there, there's like the shock, but then like, uh, then once it got like corroborated, like other, it was reported like, oh, this is real. And it like, it's always weird, like, uh, how you feel close to somebody you don't know. Um, there's like, I will say this, I, uh, I own a Kobe Bryant basketball jersey. 
And there was a point where in the like the, a lot of like the last like decade where I basically like didn't wear it. I haven't really worn it. Like still a little turned off from the um, the sexual assault uh, charges in Colorado and sort of the handling of that. Um, but that said, at the same time, it was always sort of a fan of him as, as a player, but it was hard to like really, you know, be close to someone. Like, again, I never covered the Lakers, you know, never did anything like that. So I never um, had a, that, any sort of relationship at all with him. Yet I felt this like immense sense of loss. It was so sad, like this report. And then this, it, the reports kept getting worse as like more and more, you found out more and more people were on the helicopter. And then obviously Kobe's, uh, one of Kobe's daughters was with him and died as well. There were um, uh, a baseball coach, uh, Altabelli, I think it's Joe Altabelli, um, and his wife and daughter. There were uh, nine total people on the plane. So it's just like a terribly, terribly sad day. But I just found myself like, man, like all this like flood of emotion for someone like I've literally never met. And like so and I was just there was just like overwhelming sadness and like it didn't really go away. Uh for almost like a week, the, the the Lakers canceled their first game at Staples Center on the Tuesday, and then they didn't play till Friday, and that was like a very cathartic sort of night. It was weird because they had what seemed to be like a 30-minute almost wake for Kobe Bryant with like um, Usher singing Amazing Grace. There was a cellist, uh, and then uh, LeBron James delivering a fantastic wonderful like heartfelt emotional speech and all i was saying is like how are the lakers how are either of these teams supposed to play a basketball game after this and they did it was weird but like it's just been like very surreal like all week and um there's been all sorts of tributes like transcending sports it was there was a tribute at the super bowl for all the, the people on the helicopter but i mean uh and like hockey teams golfers tennis like it's been like um, just crazy how uh, how widespread and like transcendent this was, and so it's I don't not not necessarily that I wanted to escape it, but it's been prevalent like no matter what for like over a week now, and I was surprised at how sad I felt, um, given that I had sort of mentally broken from from that like you know. I was always like a Kobe fan as a player, but like I'd sort of mentally broken from, from that sort of fandom, I guess. But I guess I didn't because I was really, Mm -hmm. it really hit me hard. And like that, that's, that's sort of where I was at. Yeah. I, uh, I, not only was I not a Laker fan, I was a notorious Laker hater. And uh, and a a Pacers fan. Yeah. It's, it's a rough life. Yeah. Uh, And specifically I was, you know, Generally, as a player, uh, critical, enjoyed sort of the schadenfreude anytime sure. you know, Kobe would like miss a game when he shot or something like that. Um, and But then on a deeper level, I, I found, like you, the, the sexual assault scandal um, troublesome. But, but even, like, even in the best light, I thought the transcript painted, um, at the time, someone not sort of worthy of adulation, worthy of um, being looked up to. Uh, by all accounts, he he came quite a long way since then. Um, yeah. But at the same time, like I was a Laker fan, so I never had sort of that, that deep connection to it. So when the news broke, I found myself <laughs> very much sort of playing devil's advocate on both sides. Someone would be uh, very effusive in their praise for him, and I would sort of have this this tinge of like, yeah, but like you can't you can't uh, wash away. Um, right, he wasn't a saint. Of, right, he like, wasn't a saint, yeah. and like, yeah. and man, this this tribute makes me feel like you're doing that. But then on the flip side, I would see a tweet that was overly critical or only wanted to look at that, and I I, I felt the opposite. I'm like, especially especially any takes that would dismiss people's mourning and dismiss people's yeah. grief. Um, and I said, no, no, you know, you know, people are complicated, and no one's a saint, and even if his sins, in some cases are more publicly egregious um, that he still affected people's life and their grief is well earned. So it was a really weird, uh, strange moment for me 
uh, created a lot of really interesting conversations with me and my friends, many most of whom are big uh, Laker fans and did take um, his passing extremely hard. But also with with my wife, who is not a sports fan at all, and we just got to talk wife. about yeah. the complications of of grief, the complications of uh, imperfect imperfect life, and and people who are do both really great things and also really terrible things. Um, and uh, just yeah, uh, complicated to For, is how I'd put it. I would say outside of me, my personal feelings too, I was taken aback by just how profoundly he seemed to affect like um, the vast majority of current NBA players. Mm-hmm. Like so many players who are playing today, like are grew up watching Kobe, right? Like they're and some of them are now to a point where like Luka Doncic was like grew up watching LeBron James, and we're getting more and more of that. But like I just I think from the fact that Kobe was older, more and more today's players grew up as Kobe fans. So like that he's prevalent, but also I I didn't realize, I guess this, he had like um, a legitimate, like uh, positive effect on like women's basketball. I know there's, there's a a sort of a tendency again, this is probably a devil's advocate thing to where like they didn't necessarily have to go to Kobe all the time to legitimize women's basketball, but they uh, it seems like some of the interviews seem like that to me. But he was like genuinely interested in it, getting his daughter like interested in it, and like also very supportive of the players in it. Like you hear like some of like the USA basketball team, uh, some of the players from like UConn and Oregon and things like would talk about how like uh, Kobe was like instrumental in like helping them or like giving them a pep talk or something. So like he just was like. I don't know. He, he seemed to take to retirement quite well. And like, it seemed like he was um, uh, just doing things. And it's, you know, I was sort of amazed at like how many people were sort of affected by him. I guess I underestimated that. Well, moving on. Who is the most likely Dodger player prospect <laughs> to show up at Camelback in the next few weeks in the best shape of his life? What a turn that was. I mean, what a wonderful transition that is. Um, I was thinking there's about no this. There's no good way to move on. So No, there's not. Uh, I kind of think Justin Turner. Oh. Yeah. Um, he's, he's heading into his free agent year. Not that he needed extra motivation or that he was not in shape in previous years. I just think like there's there's a there's a chance for best shape of his life. This uh, this I have this three words for you. <laughs> Jacked Chris Taylor. Oh, I was going to say Hong Chi Kuo. (laughs) Oh, I wish. (laughs) The comeback. With 26 players on the roster, I am not going to get used to that for the first half of the season. Uh, What percentage of the season do you think the Dodgers will carry three catchers? I'm still writing 25 players on all my checks. Um, So, (laughs) that was funny. You all know it. Um, um, So, I looked this up last year. Are you writing checks? Yeah, yeah, you know what? I don't anymore. I, the, the, I did write. I so I wrote a check for the annual dues for the baseball writers. Uh, I think those are the last two checks I wrote, and they were the last. <laughs> that the two. baseball writers still takes checks is extremely on brand to me. So that, that exactly sense. right. Yeah, like I don't even I don't even uh, pay rent with that. Like it's it's all yeah. online. Anywho, uh, um, okay. So last year in 2019, there were 138 games before the September. Roster expansion and the Dodgers carried three catchers, ten of those games. It was all in a stretch in May. Uh, I like to call uh, the Travis Darno era era, uh, but that was only like the first like five days of that were Darno, and then um, after that they kept Rocky Gale around. So for a little bit they had um, uh, Barnes, Gale, and Smith, I believe. Um, so yeah, it was a ten ten game thing. That was it. 2018. They didn't really carry three catchers unless you want to count Kyle Farmer, but I wouldn't because they never played him at catcher outside of two innings of one game in May that year. So, like, they really didn't do it. Uh, I think with a 26-man roster, you'll do it more often. But, like, I don't know. Like, it just – I I guess it boils down to options. Now, now that they don't have, like, Jock Peterson – and uh, they don't have Alex Verdugo, you know, there's there's a spot for, like, uh, Beatty and Rios and Renjifo. 
um, you know, two of those three. But then, like, maybe if, like, one or two guys are hurt, then you start to go deeper on the sort of depth chart. And, like, maybe Kyber Ruiz is the next best hitter you could bring up. Uh, at that point, he's on the 40-man. So, like, I could see them maybe so, – so he's saying what percentage of the game. So let's say – I'm going to say, like, 10 – I'll go 15%. 15% of the game. So, like, that's, like, about 20 games uh, in the first five months. I'm going to 5%. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, don't, just, I don't see it. Now, my worry about this, while I might have gone less, is that I would think that the inclination is that with an extra roster spot, everyone's just going to add another pitcher. But these rules haven't been officially finalized, but it's basically going to be – there's going to be a limit. You can only carry 13 pitchers. So there is going to be five-man bench now, which Dodgers rarely had the last few years because they always carry 13 pitchers. So uh, that'll be a plus. So I think that makes it a little more likely. But you're probably you're probably closer to right than I am. Write it down in the spreadsheet. I want to tell yep. you how wrong you were. Sweet. Oh, so and speaking, speaking of the spreadsheet, um, uh, one of our questions from Craig a few weeks ago was, uh, left-handed starts by the Dodgers this year. We, bo- we both said over 50 and under 61. I think it's safer to go over 61. <laughs> now they have David Price. So, like, yeah. With one week to go before the Academy Awards, how many of the Best Picture nominees have you seen? Mm, okay. So I'm looking at the list here. I Okay. Uh, I am. One, so with, I am in the uh, middle of buying a house. Uh, with most of that paperwork and moving and all of that having taken place during best when you would watch the best pictures. So I am woefully behind. I'm hoping yeah. to get to half uh, before Sunday, um, but it, it might only be half. Okay, so I've seen f- only four. Okay. I have I have four of the other ones, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is still in my local theater, and I will probably see it this Saturday. Um, so I, uh, and then Oscars are Sunday, so I'm going to have to really cram this week to get these in. But so the ones I've seen, oh God, um, I think I liked Ford versus Ferrari the best of the four, but before you, before you gasp and say, how could you possibly have that? The Irishman is second, Uh uh, Jojo Rabbit is third and Joker is fourth. Um, conveniently the the order that Craig exactly ex- exactly right and I, that's where i was laughing like as i was looking at that I'm like, wait those are the four and I, I didn't see the other ones yet so little women marriage story parasite 1917 i think i'm going to watch 1917 next uh that's also in the theater i probably should just go see that in the theater because that's kind of how it's supposed to be seen um but yeah we'll see uh, but i i'm going to try to see the the other five by by sunday of these, I've only seen Little Women. Saw it on Christmas with my family. Nice. I am going to attempt to watch uh, uh, Parasite in 1917 in theaters before Sunday, um, and then probably The Irishman Once Upon a Time, however I can, yeah. iTunes or whatever. Yeah. Um, I probably do not have the stomach for uh, Marriage Story. Uh, oh, so yeah. that's probably not going to happen. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> not, not at this particular time. Um I would say you well. We're, as soon as we're done here, you have to start the Irishman, and it might end by Sunday. <laughs> so uh, my my brother is actually in the credits for the Irishman, so I whoa. really really should watch that at some point. But you have to, yeah. Does yeah, it? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, another point. Uh, a guy I work with, really funny guy named Ryan Simmons. He's on the video team at uh, SB Nation. Uh, he he started a podcast called The Irish Men, where he <laughs> he was sort of like taken aback or like sort of wanted to throw the Martin Scorsese criticism of people breaking up his movie into like half hour chunks or whatever. So he said, screw that. I'm going to watch this one minute at a time. <laughs> and uh, so he basically watches uh, the Irishman Irish one minute at a time and does a whole podcast. The podcasts are about 10 minutes each. So it's very fun listening five times a week. He's, he's, it's only week five right now. And he's already like hitting the wall. It's really funny. He's like, I can't believe I agreed to do this. <laughs> this is terrible. He's like, this is a bad idea. But like, it's he's funny. It's a funny podcast. I enjoy it. People used to listen to it. 
All right, we're running a little over time, but we do have the food question left. Craig had a Cuban sandwich while he was in Miami, and he thought it was just okay. His question to us, pressed sandwiches, yes or no? And if yes, name your ingredients. Martin Jundraki. Sounds like it's... <laughs> it clearly, yes. I mean, they're good, right? Like, it's... I mean, uh, name my ingredients. I, uh, I'm i trying to think, like... Um, I. Pastrami is like my favorite hot sandwich. So, mm -hmm. but like in a press type sandwich, like ham is always good. Like it, it melts well. Like turkey, I, I would say Munster cheese is probably my favorite melty type cheese in there. Um, so something like some combination of that. Um, I, I, I have I, I have a list of ingredients for you for a press sandwich. Do it. Ham, do it. Yeah. pork, yeah, Swiss cheese, and pickles. Mm -hmm. Be, maybe some must. mustard and Craig you are out of your mind a Cuban sandwich is one of the perfect sandwiches I, I was going to say like I like everything in the Cuban sandwich it's, <laughs> it's, it's excellent so Craig's wrong uh, yeah. that's, more that's like, the fun more word. like Panono Greg. Greg. <laughs> also Craig yeah <laughs> Well, that's all the time we have. Uh, it, my Twitter feed is suggesting that the medicals are not done on any of these trades, which is extremely exciting. I'm really excited for this to be the next uh, A-Rod to the Red Sox trade. And we're willing to talk about that in like a week and a half. It'll be exciting. Thanks for listening, everybody.